ladies and gentlemen, Amanda, affectionately known as Durr. Is that what your family call you? What? What do they call you? It's not Amanda. Durrs. All right. That's that. (laughs) Um, Okay, we are going to be in Exodus 33. We're going to read verse 1 and then verses 11 through 20. Um, So verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, to your offspring, I will give it. And then verse 11 through 20. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, Please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. There it is. I read a little fast. (laughs) All right, hold that slide. Thank you so much, Amanda. Okay, so what do we have here? We have, even at a cursory reading, we have an historical fact. Moses and the Israelites lived. They moved from Egypt to the land of promise. Now, given the current uh, Middle Eastern complication and complexity and death and destruction, it makes this quite a complicated passage, but don't worry, we're not going to go there tonight as much as I would like to. But the second thing I find is the energy of the passage. It's a passage with narrative, with rhythm. It tells a story. It tells a story of God actively involved with a group of people on their adventure of faith. The old covenant is the most exquisite picture an adventure of faith and how God gets a hold of these people and takes them on a remarkable journey. For you and for me, and then for us as a community, there is this bigger meta-narrative, the story of the church for the ages past and the ages to come. And then for you and me, we are tucked into that. We are little microcosm moments. Little, little chapter fillers in this great story of God. Please don't think you are of no significance to the adventure that God has written in that bigger meta-narrative. No, your, 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 your name might not be in lights. No, your story might not be told now. But somehow in the interweaving of God's big picture, your story and my story matters. We are not inconsequential. We are not irrelevant. Whether you are primarily focused toward the church, as most of my life is, or yours is primarily focused on the world out there or some uh, in-between space, 
Your life matters. It is pivotal to who God is and the story that he is telling. Now, as we peep across the fence at what 2024 could look like, a couple of things I want to see. The first is a slide. I'm very proud of myself. I found it and I found a way to put it onto the presentation. So I'd like you to be very, very impressed with me, please, people. Come on. You gotta give us boomers some grace at some point in time. When Meryl went to grad school and her first day in the class, she realized she hadn't studied in 30 years. And the last time she studied, there were no computers, not that the everyday student used, and it was all legal pad and pen. I know it sounds Jurassic, doesn't it? Well, we are a little Jurassic. But, but why did I use this picture? Uh, Meryl was speaking to a therapist and he said, because he, he is our therapist, but we're not, uh, not as a married couple, it's just individual. So he said, Meryl, what you have to understand, think for a moment of a harbour. And in the harbour is a boat. And in the boat are you. You are standing there and you've got a pad, um, a clipboard. And on the clipboard is everything that needs to happen. And you meticulously and fastidiously check off everything, making sure every commodity, every good, every spare um, sailing equipment is there. And when everything is checked off, then you breathe a sigh of relief and then you're ready to set sail. Now, Chris, not so much. Because what Chris does is he gets onto the boat calls a crew with him, throws up the sail, leaves the harbour and then says, oh, where are we going? That's that. Where are we going? I don't know, but we'll make, we'll write this, we'll draw the stairs as we climb. This God adventure is not nearly as clean and tidy as we want it to be. Now, those of you who have control issues, you're going to find Christianity very uncomfortable. Jesus, imagine if Jesus said in the fifth gospel, all right, what we're going to do is we're going to have a five-year five plan, boys, as he says, the 12, and then he gathers the 120 together. So, all right, we need a five-year plan. You're number one, you're all going to die. Uh, you're number two, and he doesn't do that. He just says, go. Go in all the world. Go and preach the gospel to every nation. And can I hasten to add, Matthew 28 is not personal discipleship. Go into all the world and make disciples of whom? All nations. We butcher the text. We says, oh, that's discipleship. Well, I'll be a disciple and Brandon will be my disciple and then Brandon will disciple Jonathan. Well, that's not what that verse says. Jesus says, I want you to go into the nations of the world and I want you to disciple nations. Way more and one-on-one -on -one is good, but that is a compelling invitation for us to go and disciple ethnos, ethnic groups, whole clouds of people. Who was it, Richards, who wrote that book? They've got eternity in their hearts. Great book if you ever want to read something about God seeding people with the gospel before the gospel has even got there. I want you to look at that picture and remember this. We will not clearly define everything. I remember as a young pastor, church planter, people saying, well, you've got to have, a, a, what's your goal for this year? And I said, I don't know. Do I need one? Oh yeah, you need a goal. So then the problem is I looked at the Bible and I never got a goal. They said, well, then you've got to have a five-year goal. And I'm like, uh, uh, no, I don't see it there either. Now I'm not saying goals are bad, they just don't work. Come on, has anyone's New Year's resolution ever worked? Be proud to be a victor. 
You see, goals don't work. Anna, what was your goal for this year? Get pregnant? Come on, ladies and gentlemen, we won, we won a high achieving award right here. <laughs> so what do we have here? This journey of faith, dear friends, and I want to take us to four passages very quickly. Because what we need to do is remind ourselves for our own lives, for our families, for our churches, our businesses, be careful that you get stuck on a model that you can control because probably God's not hanging around there. Let's have a look at Ephesians 3.20. I've just pulled out a little subset of that verse. The whole verse reads, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power who is at work within us. So whenever we have this conversation, there is an, an invitation. Let me breathe a little bit here. We have this invitation to ask and to imagine. God dares us. He says, all right, ask and then imagine. And I, and I want to do more than that. Let's look at the next verse. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2. Then the Lord replied to the prophet Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, write down the revelation or the vision and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. The revelation awaits an appointed time. So whenever we're ideating about the future, even if we've got a kernel idea of what it is we want to do, it awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait, 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 it will certainly come and will not delay. So imagine, I feel like a beetle here, imagine. Waits an appointed time. Number three, 1 Corinthians 13, 9, I'll read the passage. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in the mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall know fully, even as I have been Fully known. So not only is there the invitation to imagination, not only is there the invitation to an appointed time, but it also, dear friends, calls us. You know, I was, I was um, on a Zoom call with, with a young church planter, and, and he just says, Chris, I, I feel so obligated. I've, I've got to see everything clearly. I've, I've got to tell our people, come on. What? And I won't give up his name. What are we doing next? And he's like, Chris, I don't actually know, but then I just say something. Because then they satisfied. Just, just say something. Instead of saying, no, nah, I don't know. I don't know. I see through the mirror dimly. It's just not clear. I know there's something. A life in the Spirit is a little messy. And if we don't like messy, we won't do the Spirit life well. And then chapter, John chapter 3, verse 8. I'll read from verse 7. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So it's imagination, it's time, it is the mirror dimly, and now we serve a God who is as the wind. It blows where it wills. 
I think some of you beat yourselves up because you don't have the whole thing sorted out. You try this and then that doesn't work. You try that and you think, geez, I'm a failure. Why? Because you attended some management 101 and they told you to craft your life and pl- plot your career path. And, and um, no, Winston Churchill became the Prime Minister of England at 65. And he said of that moment, it is as if everything I've done has prepared me for this moment. How old was he? 65. Meryl went to grad school at 52. It was as if everything in her life up until that moment prepared her for grad school. You're under pressure because you feel like at 24, you've got to have your, your stuff sorted. Well, maybe. But, but, but I think when we look at the text here, dear friends, what we see is an invitation to ask or imagine. Do you know that by the time you reach my age, most of the jobs that we even know today won't exist anymore. There'll be a whole new array of jobs. So how do you know what you're going to become? How you, do you know what you're going to do? Ask and imagine. Then wait for the appointed time faith and patience, and then see through the mirror dimly, God, this is the best I can see right now. And then hear and heed the voice of the Spirit or the wind of the Spirit. So I've just taken a handful of things that I think God is going to emphasize for us as a community for this next year. The first is more of the Spirit. In in Exodus 1 and verse 14, which Amanda read so wonderfully, God says to the people, leave this place. And they say, oh, absolutely not without your presence. We're not doing that. The deep hunger, the deep satisfying soul energy of God, I am in your presence and your presence is what I long for and I will stay where your presence is. This journey that we are on, it's a life that can only be lived out with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Don't you long for more people to be healed? Don't you long for that moment the dead person gets raised up back to life? Don't you long for that little kid whose arm got blown off in a war and as you pray for them, you watch the arm grow a miracle? That's what a miracle is. It's God recreating what no longer exists. It's from nothing something. Don't you long for that? Why must there be great historical accounts and books written on extraordinary things like that that happened and still are happening around the world today? Don't you and I want that as well? I do. I I, I want more of the Holy Spirit. I want to see Him do extraordinary things that I can see. And, And if He wants to use me, oh, I dearly want to be used. I want to be sensitive to him. He's very gentle. Someone used the analogy of saying, why is it the Bible never says the Holy Spirit is like a pigeon? I <laughs> know, oh, it's funny, isn't it? Because pigeons are just like thugs. You know what I mean? They, they're just like <laughs> thugs in the city. They, you can't get rid of them. They just, you bring out the nuts and they go, Zhoo! but a pigeon, a dove. Thank you, my love. A, a dove's like me, a gentle and quiet. And, what? <laughs> sensitive, easily disappear. And the Holy Spirit isn't insecure. He's not jealous in that sense. He's not super sensitive. But, but, but he operates in the realm of peace. And as we create a climate for him to come and minister amongst us, that's what I long for. 
I love these Sunday spaces. We don't build around them. I'm so proud. We had an, an elders dinner last night and we all kind of gave some stories. And, and I said, my favorite moment for our community, I wasn't even here, was when the hurricane was coming through or was supposed to come through. And the elders made a call. We're not having Sunday. We're going to go and take care of the homeless. And I don't know how many of you went, but I was so proud that it was not contingent on a Sunday-centric community, but on a service-centered community who will go and give themselves away for the common good of the city. That, dear friends, is more important than this. But this is beautiful. This is beautiful when the power and presence of the Holy Spirit comes. When I glance around the room, that's why I sit over there. And I see all too often, beautifully, people just sitting weeping as the presence of God comes upon them. Almost aghast that a God would be so kind, would be so loving, would be so redemptive. And that's why we thought, let's get rid of these laboratory lights during worship. There's enough light there. There's enough light here with the candles. And let's just have some private time with God and give His Holy Spirit some room to minister in us and with us. So what am I leaning over the hedge looking for? more of the Holy Spirit, that even there are times when His presence is so tangible that we don't even preach. We just be with Him. His worship is sufficient for us. All right, number two. Not only do we want more Holy Spirit, but we also want to see, and I take this from Exodus 33 verse 1, I will give to your inheritance. And folks, I love what we have here. And people ask me for this, what's a silver bullet? How come you have all these young people in your community? I don't know what, there's no silver bullet. But what I do know is that this is not healthy. Healthy is at least three generations. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the boys. Paul, Timothy, faithful men, others also. And so my prayer, that tipping point is that God would add to us. Number two, please. God would add to us Families, 35, 55, and so on. That God would just bring those people into our families. I, I want to see the 12-year-olds. You know, Meryl and I went back to the church we planted 40 years ago. And they're in a big warehouse. They built, they built a beautiful structure. And what I loved, at the end, every Sunday night, they don't have kids ministry on a Sunday, so there's chaos during worship because the kids are going crazy. And then they go and sit with mom and dad. And then when amen happens, it is like all breaks loose. The football comes out, the soccer ball comes out, guys are running, I mean the kids are just, mom and dad sitting at the cafe drinking coffee and I thought, this is community. This is community, the little girls, and I'm not being gender specific, I'm just describing incidents I saw. The little girls dancing on the stage and little guys scrumming and someone throws a soccer ball in and then there's just chaos. And they, I mean, how no one gets injured, I have no idea. I think here in America, you'd never allow it because you get sued. South Africa, they don't know what sue means. It's like a name of a girl, you know. And, um, and so, so there's just this chaos happening, and I love that. That's what we want. Multi-generations gathering together in holy community, doing life together, so that some of the little girls can look at some of you and say, oh, mommy, I want to be like her. When I grew up, some little boys are saying, I want to have muscles like him. Healthy, robust community doing life together in honesty and transparency. That is what I'm hoping for, that we will have that tipping point 
next year. I, I, I don't know how we'll do it because four o'clock on a Sunday afternoon is certainly not a family's time to come and gather. So God has to do something else with us. But I'm hoping that happens. Number three, moving on quickly. Increasing the leadership core. I'm just talking about things that could quite happen, possibly happen as we look over the hedge. For some of you who are visitors tonight, I'm sorry, it's kind of very in-house and family, but it gives you some idea of the way we think. I love this little verse. It says, Moses, verse 11, Moses went down the mountain, at least he went away from the tent, and it said, Joshua did not leave the tent. Remember Matthias, chapter one of Acts, when we went there, it said, God, who should be the one to replace Judas? And that little verse said, Matthias had been with Jesus. And personally, that's what we are looking for, for those who will play a pivotal, culture-creating, life-shaping community here with us alongside. I'm looking for people who have been with Jesus. I really don't care about your degree. I really don't care about your years of experience. I'm not being unkind. They are good things. But what I look for most is when I, forgive me for staying with the beauty of this imagery, being with Jesus, I want to smell Jesus when I'm near you. I want to hear Jesus when I'm with you. I want to feel Jesus. I want to feel that tender caress of Jesus. I, I, I want to know that. Um, hmm, how do I tell the story? You know, our job as leaders in this community is to shepherd you. It's not a, a popularity thing. I mean, I try to be fun as a leader and interesting and whatever. But, but, but at the end of the day, our responsibility is to be fathers and mothers in the house, which is hilarious when you think Tyler and Halo are 27 and Dana Stewart really old at 35. What's that? 29. Thank you. Yeah, you're really old. <laughs> but, but I don't know if you know how seriously we take the mandate, John 10 mandate, to protect you. Even while we've been here, there was a guy who came in a few Sundays, and because we're a huggy church, and they, they, let's be honest, there's some beautiful girls here, uh, he, he would go for the full frontal hug and just hold the girls. And by the time we had our second or third complaint, we said, Ask two of the guys, please go and speak to him. Not in this church. Not in this church. We will not let our charismatic generosity be tantamount to your own perversion. Well, he didn't say sorry. He didn't say, well, I, I'm sorry, I, d I didn't mean that. He left the church. Of course he did, because he was a wolf in sheep's clothing. We are here to protect you, young ladies. In the same way that we ask the young ladies to protect the young men. Same. Because that's the authorship of leadership to shepherd by being gatekeepers, caring for, protecting, loving, leading these incredible people. Does that make sense? I love this as I was preparing this morning. Acts 13 verse 1. Now in, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. So these were some pretty cool peeps. Barnabas. Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian who had, brought, uh, had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. 
And I was just mulling over that. Isn't that a beautiful picture? In fact, one of the commentators, which I quote there, said, this verse lists Barnabas and Saul or Paul as prophets and teachers. It also records three others from the Antioch church. Manian had a political background in the court of Herod. They're not sure, but they think he might have been adopted by Herod to be in his family. So he was kind of Herod Jr.'s adopted brother, if you wish. Simon, um, where am I there? Niger means black, Simeon. So in all probability, every commentator I've read was that Simeon was from Africa. So here you have a man who is in Herod's court, a Jew of Jews. Here you have Simeon from Niger, who was a black man. Then you go on to say, um, he was probably Manian, we've said that. Uh, where am I here? Let me go back, because that doesn't make it uh, as well. Uh, let me look at my notes here, sorry. Acts reminds believers that the church God envisions is one of cultural, ethnic, gender, and linguistic diversity. Humanity's story does not stand solo, but our humanity is intertwined with others who may not be biologically related to us, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the mission-orientated human family. I, just, I chuckled to myself. I read it. I thought, that's a really good quote. It's not up there. Then I look at the author, and it's a Nigerian who teaches at a Bible college in Dallas. I thought, yep, that's it right there. It envisions this church as one of cultural, ethnic, gender, and linguistic diversity. Humanity's story does not stand alone, but our humanity is intertwined in others who may not be biologically related to us. A healthy community is a community as is indicated here. Who was Barnabas? His name was Joseph. He was a landowner. He was a businessman. Simeon from Niger. He was a black man from Africa. Lucius of Cyrene. Cyrene was up in uh, um, modern day, near modern day uh, Libya. Manian, he was Lucius. He was a Latin man. He was a Roman man that lived in North Africa. Manian, who was from Herod the Tetrarch and Saul was from Tarsus. Do you see how beautiful that is? Yeah. A landowner, a black man. Sorry, just... Taking the text, Lucius, a Latin, a Roman man from Cyrene, Manian, who had a, a Herod's name, and Saul, who was from Tarsus. All this interplay together to create the leadership of the team here. A church that is mono-ethnic, limps, because we need those of other cultures, ethnicities, ages. We dearly need that. I love the fact that God has been so kind to us. The first wave of leaders, uh, Ty, who is 29, he just wants us to know that. Um, Haley, who is also 29, they've had two birthdays since I last remembered. <laughs> they have birthdays every second year. Uh, David, who had a huge snowboarding accident and is not a happy camper at home right now. Caleb, who looks gorgeous with his red locks. Reminds me of a Scottish warrior. Um, Sam, who is more scary. Sam, you remind me of like an Irish woman. You know, the Irish women were phenomenal fighters. Now, this is a true story. Hey, I'm a history lover. The, the men, when, when, they, when they tried to, Meryl, excuse me. This is, this is, this is the Lord now. Um, the, when people try to invade Ireland, it's interesting. The Vikings could not conquer Ireland. And the reason historians say was because of the Irish woman. They were, more, <laughs> they were more fierce than the men and they would go into battle with their paint on, sword in hand, and the Vikings were petrified of them. 
That, my friend, is no extra charge. The first wave, the second wave, the second wave of leaders, that's whose culture shaped our community. That's who made us what we are. Second wave, Stuna, Stuna. <laughs> See, now, now I'm trying to rush and look what happens. We have Stunas in the house. All right, so Stuna, it just saves time. I'll just say both of you together at the same time. Stu and Dana, Chris and Wendy, Austin, Brandon. I mean, the list goes on. But the second wave, it walked us through COVID and brought us out the other side. And the third wave, well, the Rubicon is all of you. This church is now dependent on you. The first and second wave have done a great job. Now it's up to you. Do you take hold of it and allow God to use us to create many Jesus communities around the world? Number four, please. I'm moving quickly. What did I call you? Stuna. All right, number four, every family needs a home. The driving idea here from Exodus 31.1 is go up to the land I have promised you. While I was on sabbatical, that Psalm 107.30 said he guided them to their desired haven. I know that's a very personal word, but it's a word God said to me, somehow we will move on to create our own home. There's, if you look at the, 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 the lower little circles there, Whenever we make a decision like this, we look at four qualifying characteristics. The first is what is biblically required. So when we use that word eldership, it's so foreign to the world in which we live, but it's clearly biblical, both in the language of the old covenant and the new. So we say, okay, the Bible says we're in. Secondly, what is prophetically necessary? What has God said about us? And we know amongst other things, God's called us to be a boot camp. People come in, we train them up, and we release them in their global gospel adventure in three to four years. That's the dream. Number four, what is culturally essential? Well, here in Orange County, until you have a home, you're not really a church. So many churches have come and gone, closed down, don't happen anymore, that we're not kind of not, not a thing until we have a spiritual home. And that may or may not mean something to us. It just is a cultural fact. And then lastly, is that not just biblically required, prophetically necessary, culturally essential, but it's also personal preference. So when we have our newbie dinner, we have it at our home. Why? Because we want you to see how Meryl and I live. This community, <laughs> those kids are having a great time or not. I'm not sure how to interpret that joy. All right, so that, dear friend, is in the mist dimly. What are we doing home-wise We've outgrown this place. Jeannie and them drove all the way from Temecula a couple of months, uh, weeks ago, and had to literally sit in the driveway. There's no space. So what did we do with that? The boys had to play in the dark, play football or basketball, whatever, in the dark. What did we do with that? Every family needs a home. Number five, I'm galloping to an end, kind of. Pray. The Lord spoke to Moses as one speaks to a friend, Exodus 33, 11. Remember our five anchor points when we started. We want to build around the table. We want to worship together so we encounter God. We wanted to pray together so that we all play. We want storytelling because it's a major part of the Bible, God, us, and our uniquenesses, and then our mission. So what we're doing in the new year is we're ramping up our prayer culture. You'll see two dates 
and two assignments beyond the other things we're doing. January the 19th to 20th, we'll have 24 hours of prayer here at the greenhouse. So from six on Friday till six on Saturday, we're asking every one of you to sign up for an hour. Some of us, I'm gonna try and go through the night if I can. We'd love to pray with all of you. I might not make it. You may find me sleeping over there in the corner. We'll see. But um, if everyone signs up for an hour, some of the young guys, and I hope you don't get all awkward by me asking the guys, maybe some of you can take the, the one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock time slots. Uh, this is a very quiet little lane, and maybe that might be helpful. And then April the 19th to the 21st, we're having three days of prayer and fast, fasting, water only. How many of you have ever done any fasting with water only? Cool, cool. So we got some muscle in the house. Um, the whole idea is to engage God intimately and to hear His voice. You know, I was reading Exodus. That's why I'm using this passage. And um, God's, God's furious with Israel. And He said, I'm done. They're stiff-necked. I'm, I'm, I'm not going with you. And Moses says, you can't do that. You, you cannot leave us by ourselves. And his prayer said, and God relented. It's a beautiful word. God relented. God said, okay, change your plan. Don't you love that prayer can change God's plan? That's what we're going to be doing. Lastly, I think it is. Is there number six? All right. Here it is. Exodus 33, 14. My presence will go with you. The Jesus apprentice story is upward to be with them, inward to allow spiritual transformation, but also outward. It's an adventure, dear friends, of local. How many of you, who's going to Sri Lanka on the motorbike thing? One, two, three. Is David going? Four. So we work with about 41 churches in Sri Lanka. And so what uh, Rob Hutton, who leads the church in Dubai, does once a year, he takes a bunch of guys. Uh, why, ladies? Because it's super uncomfortable. I mean, the conditions are creative. Curious? Complicated. And uh, the guys rent old Soviet Union motorcycles in Colombo, the capital of Sri Lanka, and then they go from church to church on the motorcycle. Some you can't get to by car. There are no roads there. So they have to go through the jungle on these motorcycles to remote villages to go and preach the gospel, tea plantations, where someone's got saved, he's gone back to his village, he's preached the gospel. The only thing they know is redemption. They know nothing more. And these guys are going to go in there and be sent out to different villages to go and share the gospel and do some teaching. Every one of them will teach. <coughs> I love that. The adventure of a global thing. Sam, I don't know if you still plan to lead a team to Live Village, a huge orphanage in South Africa um, in July as part of the Albania trip. All of which, folks, is to get us not only local, which is to the homeless and the unhoused and all the beautiful things that we do. Corin, come here, please. This is unsolicited. Are you awake? I can, I can. So Corin is a very dear friend. I will, not after tonight, but she is right now. So what are you doing by way of mission? Something got birthed in your heart some years ago and Jesse's house emerged. Can you tell us the story a little bit? Gosh. 
So, okay. So, um, gosh, I I do a lot of work with the homeless community, and um, uh, when COVID hit, uh, we we meet in the park a lot at a church. We have a church in the park, and what's the church's name? It's called Our Church. <laughs> Our Church. For homeless people, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's, it's very cool. Are you homeless? No, <laughs> I might be after this. No, so um, so we kept getting kicked out of the parks um, by the police. And so we would move around the park, different areas and all that to uh, escape them. And <laughs> and I just, I, I, I just felt so bad that, you know, the people, they're already homeless, and now they've been, kicked, we've been, they've been kicked out. So I wanted to find a place where, they, where we could meet um, that would be safe. And um, I, so we bought it, my husband and I bought a house, and um, we thought, oh, we'll just meet over there. Quite a big house. Yes, yes. It was 10 bedrooms um, in the city of Orange. Um, and then things happened and changed. So we met there a couple of times and then things happened and the police stopped harassing the church in the park and um, they've actually been fine with us being there now. Um, but then I lost my daughter um, to suicide about um, almost three years ago. And... Um, when, when I lost her, we discovered her journal and she had such a heart for single moms and um, children that came from abusive um, situations. And so I, I just knew then that that's what God wanted us to use the house for. And so we, um, we created Jessie's house and Jessie's the name of my daughter and um, we currently have um, single moms living there, some that have left, um, actually quite, most of them have left abusive relationships um, with their children. So, and Sam and Caleb are going to be join, uh, joining the house there. And um, yeah, is that it? That's beautiful. Is that it? That's beautiful, beautiful. So... So Sam and Caleb are going to be the father and mother of the house to people who are older than them. But you're also 29. Lest I think you're 27, because that would be traumatic. Are you 27, Sam? Okay. What? Thank you, Karen. Thank you. What can happen sometimes, dear friends, and I'm landing. It's time to come to the table is we can sit and expect someone else to do that. When actually God can take the seed of our own story and our own journey and we can allow it to, to let him grow it within us. Albania is great. I'm very excited. Have you got the map of Albania up? All right, so if you look carefully, there it is. It's tucked right out next to just north of Greece, Next to Macedonia, Kosovo, Montenegro, if you were my age, you would remember the uh, Serbian war, right up there. Across the way from Lecce, where Gallipoli, where we were uh, on our sabbatical, Puglia, down there at the, the heel of Italy. It's a Muslim country. Have you ever wondered what it's like to worship 
in a Muslim country, bring the life of Christ, the presence of Christ into a very dark world. Or, and, someone here tonight is needed to be here to hear Karen's story. As the seed, which is what Karina got us to pray in our pre-gathering prayer, our seed for something God wants to do in your heart going forward. Shift your life. This is a hinge moment in your life. Hmm. Maybe tonight's message is actually just for you. Others fun. We'll see. But maybe God has a seed that he's put in your heart with her honesty. A hinge moment in your life. The kingdom of heaven is beautiful. For people who say yes, with fragile voices, quivering tongues, hands that shake in nervousness, so oh God, I do, I do, I do so dearly want to live a life that lasts way beyond me. Dana's going to lead us in communion now. Maybe, just maybe, God has met with you and spoken with you.